0: welcome into to another busting brackets podcast i'm your host brian ralph joined as always by my co-host connor hope uh, connor uh, another exciting week of college basketball not maybe the the plethora of significant upsets we've seen the past couple of weeks but the weekend had nine ranked teams fall to unranked teams um we're still seeing that turnover, although I think there's a clear sort of maybe top six or seven teams that have started to really stabilize and separate themselves maybe a little bit from the pack. Um, those teams, though, are not from the SEC and the Pac-12, and that's where we're going to start talking about uh, those two conferences in today's episode. We are joined by Arden Cavajo and Matthew Travis, uh, both of Bussing Brackets. Guys, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, guys.
0: Well, let's let's start in the Pac-12, Connor, um, because I I think the conference has largely fallen off from where many, uh, including us on our preseason Pac-12 preview, thought the conferences were going to be this year. Yet, it still turned into perhaps maybe the most entertaining and closest conference race there is in the country.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. I think the top of of the Pac-12 has definitely fallen off a bit from the from the start. I mean, Colorado's still up there, Oregon's still up there, um, Arizona is still riding right about where they were. But you've got a team like Washington that was a top 40 team, lost quad a Green, now they're they're probably not even an NIT team. Um, Stanford definitely fell off a ton uh, once they started in conference. USC. Has, has seen somewhat, not necessarily an improvement, but somewhat of an uh, increased amount of media attention to what they are, which is a team that's probably clearly on the right side of the bubble, assuming they continue winning the games they should and and not, not dropping anything they shouldn't. Uh, Arizona State's come on strong, though, and I think that's kind of where we're sitting. Arizona State's come on strong, Stanford's dropped off. UCLA's improved a little bit. Um, so I would say the bottom of the Pac-12, with the exception of Washington, have has seen a marginal improvement over over their non-conference. But what you're really looking at is is the top of the Pac-12 is pretty much held serve.
0: Who are, Arden? Who would you consider to be the best team in the Pac-12, or the team that you have the most confidence in to go furthest in the NSA tournament? It seems to kind of be a two-man race. You would think at least between Oregon and Colorado, but you have a handful of teams that are in the mix there.
3: Yeah, there's definitely a handful mix of teams that are definitely near the top, but uh, I remember when we did the... Podcast in the beginning of the season for the Pac 12, I went with Oregon being the top team or ending up to be the top team in the Pac 12. And I'm going to stick with it. And they've been proving it to me as of late with that huge win against Colorado and these next two games that they have uh, for this week going down to the state of Arizona. Those are some key games. But as of right now, I would say the Ducks, Chris Duarte and uh, Peyton Pritchard, they've really been keeping it up in that backcourt. And I'm really impressed with them so far.
0: Yeah. This week I think is going to make or break Oregon Mm -hmm. as a national championship contender. Yeah. Playing on the road to tough environments against two quality teams. We know how good Arizona is Uh, Arizona States on the rise. I thought Arizona state might be one of those bubble teams that snuck into the tournament this year. Didn't look that way early, but they're playing much better of late. I believe they've won five games in a row. Do you think that Arizona State could make the tournament, Arden? How do you look at the Sun Devils team?
3: Yeah, they are on a five-game winning streak, like you said, and somehow Bobby Hurley gets this team going at the right time towards the end of the season, and yeah, I think they will get into the tournament, into that first four category. They've done that a couple of times in the past uh, few years. Uh, Sun Devils look really good, led by Remy Martin in this late stretch towards the end of the Pac-12 conference play, and... Yeah, I do think they'll somehow sneak in.
0: I would agree with you because I I think they're playing well enough to pick up the wins they need to pick up down the stretch here. Win over Oregon would certainly help their case immensely. But, Connor, I think we're seeing an interesting contrast in some of the bubble teams in the Pac-12 because you have somebody like Garrison Estate who's surging and somebody like Stanford who's kind of stumbling and some other teams there that are in the mix there. How do you look at... The bubble situation in the Pac twelve right now.
2: Um, I think that it, when you are looking at it from a perspective of what's happened so far and what they have of uh, up ahead of them, I am starting to feel, and you know, this weekend will probably uh, give a little bit more closure to that feeling that Stanford needs to win the Pac twelve tournament to make the the NCAA yeah. tournament. They're they're unlike. Uh, Arizona State, that's on a five-game winning streak. Stanford's dropped seven of their last eight. And they what closed.
0: happened to them, Connor? What happened?
2: You know what? I It, it was probably a combination <laughs> of they were playing above their, punching above their weight in the non-conference. Um, and if you look at their non-conference, their, their best win is probably that game against Oklahoma. Uh, and Oklahoma's not a team that is no safely in the tournament or, not or
0: impressive for the Cardinals. you know they,
2: the oklahoma might be in the tournament they might not but they're not a safe tournament team the two definitive tournament teams they played were butler where they lost by one which is why everyone kind of myself included well i had stanford playing well um preseason but i think that butler game vindicated me a little bit then they got blown out by kansas um played Cal, Washington, Wazoo, and, and UCLA, won those four games in a row. And I think everyone had them, you know, they're a really good team. And then they just kind of, they they returned to earth. And looking forward, they traveled to Washington to play those two teams. They play Utah and Colorado at home. And then they traveled to Oregon to play those two teams, which might be the toughest stretch for any of the three teams that we would probably consider on the bubble in the Pac-12 being Stanford, USC, and Arizona State. So Stanford's the team I think is probably on the wrong side um, already, but moving forward has the best chance to improve that But uh, in terms of the opportunities, but my expectations are lower for them. USC is probably firmly in, and they're... Their upcoming schedule has two really good opportunities, three really good opportunities to improve their resume with uh, a game at Colorado and then hosting Arizona, Arizona State. Um, Arizona State as well has, one, two really good opportunities to add add quality wins with a game against Oregon and then a traveling to UCLA and USC to play them. Um, but I think those two schedules are much more manageable than what Stanford has in general, and then the way the teams are playing, I have less confidence in Stanford moving forward.
0: Arden, let's talk a little bit about USC, because we've we've dug into Stanford and Arizona State a little bit here. Uh, How good are the Trojans? Do you think they're safely in the field, or do they still have a little bit of work to do here these next couple weeks?
3: Yeah, I was kind of talking, thinking about this beforehand when we went on the podcast. I I really think there's only four teams that make it out of the Pac-12, and I think USC and Arizona State are going to be battling it out between those uh, two to get into the field. And that's why that key uh, game, Arizona State at USC, February 29th, is going to be really key for both these squads. The Sun Devils won that first matchup over the Trojans earlier in the season. And you, I, if I had to pick a team that would be have a better chance of getting into the tournament by the end of Pac-12 play, I think I'm going to have to go with USC, even though I feel like their schedule is a bit tougher. It's something that they could do. Uh, They lost um, some key games against Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona state uh, not too long ago in the first half of the Pac-12 play. And they get a chance to right the wrongs against those uh, teams when they play at Colorado and then Arizona and Arizona state at home, as Connor said. So, yeah, I think it's up between USC and Arizona State uh, who's going to get into the uh, uh, field of 68.
0: I look at those two resumes, and it's interesting because they're right next to each other in the net rankings. Yeah. Uh, USC ha- only ha- only has two Quadrant One wins. They're two and six, but have only one loss outside of Quad One, which happened to be a Quad Three loss. Mm-hmm. Arizona State doesn't have a Quad Three or Quad Four loss. And they're 4-6 and in Quad 1 games, plus two wins in Quad 1A games, which USC doesn't have any of those. But they do have those two Quad 2 losses. So I I think it's an interesting contrast between uh, two resumes that are are pretty similar. I think Arizona State's probably is is a bit more top-heavy, but USC, I think, has taken care of business a little bit more uh, against the lesser competition outside of that one quad three loss obviously so it's going to be interesting to see how these two play out down the stretch i personally could see both getting in i think we may see usc end up in the first four then arizona state get uh, like a 10 seed or something like that connor um how many of these bubble teams do you think get in and join arizona colorado and oregon in the ncaa tournament
2: yeah i'm i'm leaning to at the moment um And that's heavily reliant, I think, if if USC beats UCLA at home and then can go 2-2 and against their remaining opponents, whether they win both Quadrant 2 games, both Quadrant 1 games, or a combination of the two, um, I think that they're probably safe. Uh, The thing about Arizona State is Arizona State has, let's see, one Quadrant 3 game remaining. And then uh, five um, five quadrant one two games remaining, so they yeah. have more opportunities to get those quadrant one or two wins. Uh, I, I I think if if Arizona State loses to USC, but can go two and two against their remaining Q one Q two opponents, and then USC can go two and one or one and two against their remaining Q one Q two opponents. Um, unless they lose it against, you know, a Cal or a Washington State in the uh Pac twelve tournament, I think both can get in. Um right now I'd probably say four point five is a good number. Four or five wouldn't surprise me.
0: Yeah. I think that's kind of what we're looking at. I think one of those bubble teams will get left out for sure. Yeah. And then it's it's probably gonna be uh a flip of a coin in terms of a first four matchup for maybe that fifth team, whether that's USC or Arizona state or even Stanford.
3: That's usually what it comes down to with the first four matchups. That's yeah. That's fine.
0: Yeah. But I want to transition over to the sec now and bring Matthew in here because if we're going to talk bubble. There's no conference that's as bubblicious as the sec. There are six teams that I think you could say are legitimately on the bubble. Some on the right side, most probably right on the wrong side, Uh, We have have Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and then South Carolina sneaking in there um, with their recent run, winning eight of their last ten games. Uh, Matthew, give us a – how do you look at this bubble situation with the SEC? How many of these teams do you like and how many do you think have a legitimate chance?
1: Well, since I go to Alabama, I'm going to look at (laughs) Alabama's schedule first. Alabama is favored in every single one of their games except for their game against Mississippi State I believe it's Mississippi State the only game they're not favored in and they already beat um, Mississippi State so I think Al- Alabama they just came off a win against uh, LSU this past weekend a game that which they were up 18 at one point they only won by six but if they Herb Jones is now back they're a team that If they beat Texas A&M, they beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Missouri, if they win five of those six games, I think they're a team that could get in. And I also think they could make a run in the SEC tournament because they've played just about everyone except for Kentucky well in the SEC. Going to South Carolina, they're also a team that I think should get in because they don't play – their best team they're going to play the remainder of the season is going to be LSU but they also have to play um, Mississippi State in Starkville and then also in Columbia. So I, I think they'll end up splitting those, and I think that game in Tuscaloosa on uh, February 29th is going to be a big one because they're both going to be right on the edge right there, and that could be a big, big matchup. Does and then... that hurt,
0: though, the lack of potential like top-end games? You mentioned on the LSU game. They have some of these bubble matchups. But South Carolina has a quad three loss, which came at home against Boston university. And then a quad four loss, which came at home to Stetson, which is right after they beat Virginia on the road. Um, Do you think just beating some of these bubble teams is enough for them or do they need to kind of take care of business and then hope they draw LSU, Auburn, Kentucky in the SEC tournament and win that game too?
1: I I think they're going to have to make some noise in the SEC tournament because their resume just, isn't enough at the time we all thought Virginia was a great win because they were ninth in the nation and they won by 11 in um Charlottesville so that was a great win but now where is Virginia so now their best win is uh it's probably still Virginia well no they beat Kentucky so they have that win but that's about all they've got going for them so they're gonna I would think they're going to need to get to around the semifinals or so in the SEC tournament in order to get over because Alabama is a team that beat Auburn by 19 and then at Auburn they were down 16 nothing, and then ended up forcing overtime, so I, I think they're going to have to do a little more in the tournament than a team like Alabama or even Florida, but Florida's a team I don't even think is going to end up making the tournament because they have to play Kentucky twice. And then also LSU and Tennessee, who's a team that can go either way. And Florida is also a team that can go either way, despite the fact that they've won three in a row after losing to Ole Miss. But I I would say South Carolina probably has to do a little more work in the SC tournament than some of these other bubble teams in the conference.
0: Connor, I want to talk to you about Florida because we both picked them to win the national championship in the preseason. I may or may not have talked you into that. Um, My apologies again. But what do you make of this Florida team? Because they've won three games in a row now. They just beat Arkansas at home by double digits. Um, Arkansas, by the way, is now only 4-9 in the SEC after their really hot non-conference start. I still don't trust Florida at all. I think they'll probably get in, but I think that's kind of a waste.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking at Florida, their, their start to the uh, SEC season where they went four and five, um, they did lose at Missouri, but they racked up wins against pretty much you know, three of the seven teams that we're talking about in terms of NCAA tournament aspirations. Um, that – that Arkansas team, I, th- I think we saw this coming. Y- you and I, Brian, where mm-hmm. talk. I mean, I think I remember saying, you know, everyone was calling Auburn's schedule easy without actually rec- recognizing that they probably had a tougher schedule than Arkansas heading yep. into the SEC play. But Arkansas didn't have any
0: expectations, right? You know,
2: they 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 outperformed what people thought they would do, which is why they were getting kind of that hype. So. At the end of the day, I think Arkansas probably misses the tournament. Um, and I think those three wins for Florida... You know, Arkansas is on a five-game lo- five-game losing streak. They've lost, what, eight out of their last ten. Um, and so Florida's win over Arkansas, to me, doesn't say much. If you, if you look at the wins that they've racked up in the last couple of weeks, a few weeks, it's been Vanderbilt, uh, Georgia... Texas AM, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, which are, you know, teams that are ranked last, second to last, third to last. And then Texas AM's outperforming, but they're still, you know, right in the middle of the SEC, um, lower half of the SEC. So I, I kind of agree with you. I don't think that they are the most deserving team to make it or, to, you know, to have the argument about it. But, if they pull off a win in one of their two game, three games that you know they have a lot of opportunities. They play Kentucky twice and LSU once. If they can pull off a win or even two, they're a team that probably sneaks into the back half of that tournament.
0: Here's my thing with Florida, and it's been my thing since the start of the season. Since they showed how awful they are, um, talent wise, I don't think it's any question. They're one of maybe the the ten most talented teams in the country which is why we like them so much in the preseason but the way they play just isn't conducive to their strengths at all if mike white had his choice this team would play at one of the slowest paces in the country which they do execute try to execute half court offense which they're not good at mostly because they don't really run offense um and and play solid defense but then come back and and try and execute in half court and play really slow, which they're not good at. And their offense doesn't get them good shots because they don't execute it well because it doesn't really have any flow. The result of that, when they've played some of these better teams that they've gotten down early, which has caused them to play faster, which has allowed them to use their athleticism because they have a lot of really great athletes on that team and get out in transition and just allow their guys to use their skill against a defense that's not set. And they've made a lot of really big comebacks this year. I think they have two SEC victories alone that in which they trail by at least 20 points at, at some time in the game. They're, when they have to play fast and more aggressively in a way that's more conducive, I think, to the roster they have and the talent they have on that roster, they're incredible. When they, they can erase tw- 20 point deficits like it's nothing um they just don't play that way until they're down 20 and when they get to face some of these better teams that they're going to end up playing here down the stretch i don't think that's going to be enough it's frustrating to me that they don't play that way all the time especially because they've seen how well they do playing that way um anyway that's the end of me on my soapbox
2: uh, i i agree i i think if i were to compare florida to a team in the Pac-12, and I think Ardington attest to this, I kind of compare them to USC, where Andy Enfield has done a much better job this season than he has in years past. But again, he and Mike White are trying to force the talent they have into a style of play that's not good for the talent they have. And Mm -hmm. um, when, when when you do that, you get teams like Florida who, granted, you know, outside of of that loss at Missouri um, and and maybe at Mississippi, they don't really have many bad losses on their resume. Um, even the the Yukon loss is not looking quite as bad as we expected in, uh, when they lost to Connecticut but outside of Auburn, they don't really have any great wins mm-hmm. um, and I think that, you know, USC is the same way outside of the loss at Washington. They don't, they don't, and maybe temple, they don't have any bad losses, but when it comes to teams, they've beaten, they don't really have any great wins. And I think that's kind of indicative of the coach taking talented rosters because both rosters in their own right are very talented and trying to force them into a style of play that they're not, that's not working. Um, and so my, that's my biggest issue with, with Mike White right now is that he is, he is taking a team that should be playing really fast and trying to slow them down.
3: Yeah, I'm looking at USC's, like, all their results from this season, and they really have no good losses like you just said. Uh, I'm looking at Colorado they lost to, Arizona lost to. Uh, Oregon didn't get a chance, had lost them and then in the preseason Marquette didn't have a chance to come out on top of that game they actually got pretty much blown out in that game for most of it and yeah I would definitely agree that uh, USC hasn't really gotten as many good resume wins as they had
2: hoped. USC is hanging their hat on LSU and Florida's mm-hmm. hanging their hat on Auburn and yeah. whether that's yeah. going to be enough for either team to get in I think that they have to pick up something of a resume building win whether for usc that's colorado or arizona or for florida that's kentucky or lsu
3: they have to win one of those games in order to get in speaking of lsu i kind of wanted to twist it over to kentucky and the sec because i was watching them play lsu they're up uh the wildcats are up 29 to 28 over lsu at halftime uh kentucky has a lot of star power i i'm looking at the roster i'm seeing these players ashton hagan's tyrese maxey Emmanuel quickly, Nick Richards. Does that? Does this team have the potential to go to a national championship, or at least a Final Four? Do they have enough star power to do so?
2: I'll let
1: Matt I take they, that. Yeah, I, I think they could be a second weekend team, but I wouldn't say Final Four quite yet. I mean, when you look at who they've they, they've struggled in, I mean, I mean against Ole Miss just last week, they struggled, and they were at home in that game, and they lost to Auburn, who. Auburn, they're they're a good team, but I don't think they're that elite yet. And they ha they did beat Texas Tech in their row, but I, I think the Final Four and elite or, and national championship is a large stretch. But I, I think it would be fair to say they're a Sweet Sixteen elite 18. So there's well, are nothing. you saying
3: that there's any teams in the SEC that can have the potential to go to a Final Four? Because it sounds like you're not high on Auburn either, and it's definitely not the Auburn team of last year.
1: No. I, I I, I really don't. I think Kentucky has the best out of any SEC team, but I, I just can't, with how inconsistent they've been against decent teams and how they, the fact that they keep playing these close games, they end up winning a lot of them, but I, I'm just not completely sold on them, and the fact that they lost to South Carolina in Columbia, and I, I, I just can't see them, and Auburn's a team that, I, I really don't trust at all. Um I, I think they'll they might not even be a second weekend team to be honest with you. They could be if they're a four seed, they could be out in the first or second round, but I I just am not too sure yet.
0: So Matthew, how many teams do you think get in on selection Sunday? I think we can say three for sure. Right? Yeah, Kentucky, Kentucky, Auburn,
1: Alice, you were all in for sure. I don't think Florida gets in because I think they lose to both Kentucky twice and then LSU as well, which would put them at 12 losses entering the SEC tournament, and then I don't think they win that, so I wouldn't put Florida in there. I would put Alabama in there just because of their the week schedule remaining. I mean, Alabama could win each of their last six games, and I think they could also win a game or two, maybe three in the SEC tournament, but... Uh, so I would put Alabama in there. I might put South Carolina in there depending on who – how they do. I, like so it. I I'd probably go – and Mississippi State as well. So I'd probably say they're going to be a six-team conference or so. And if Florida can manage to get a game against either Kentucky or Florida – or LSU and there's three combined games, I think they would be in as well. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably say six, maybe seven.
0: Connor, do you see six as well or more or less? Uh,
2: I, I'd i say if the Pac-12 is four and a half, I'd say the SEC for me is probably five and a half. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's there's when it all shakes out, those top three teams, Kentucky, Auburn, LSU get in, I, I agree with Matt. I think Alabama is probably the safest bet out of the remainder of the teams. But with the amount of bubble teams they have there, uh, I think they get one more, if not two. Um, But, again, it it depends on, you know, them beating the teams they should and picking up a game against uh, another quality opponent. So, um, and then what happens in the SEC tournament, I think, can decide that as well. So, I'm going to put it at, I would say six, but I think it's five or six, not necessarily six or seven.
0: Yeah,
3: I think I'd have to go with five out of the SEC.
0: Yeah, I I think South Carolina is that wild card sixth team. I think Florida is probably going to be in as the fourth, Alabama as, as the fifth, although those two may flip. Um, but I, I don't trust Arkansas, especially with Isaiah Joe's injury and the, and the losing streak they're on. I don't think they are they have the strength of record to really get in. Uh, Tennessee has really been on a decline since Lamonte Turner was out, right. uh, shoulder injury out for the year. Um, Mississippi State, I don't necessarily trust, but I'll, I'll, I, those two games they have left with South Carolina are going to be very telling. Um, if somebody's able to sweep those games, they put themselves in a good position. The way South uh, is playing, I, I think I trust them a little bit more than Mississippi, Mississippi State. But I, it'll think be if they
1: split the, I, I think if they split those games and then they each win maybe one game in the SEC tournament, they could both get in. South Carolina yeah, Mississippi
0: State. That is there. There are certainly bids to be had this year, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, Connor. With the ACC being down, probably only getting four bids. Um, SEC is up in the air. The Big Ten, you know, make it ten or eleven, but the Big Twelve isn't sending as many as they normally do. Um, the Big East may not send as many as they normally do, uh, although they'll still send a, a pretty good number. American won't send as much as they normally do. There are some some at-large bids to be had here. A lot of SEC teams are in the mix, but because it's so open, there's a lot of really quality mid-major teams that could be in that mix as well if they were to lose in their conference tournament. Um, the big team that has sparked some debate, Connor, and we'll start with this, digging into some of this mid-major at-large conversation, is Stephen F. Austin. Because from a metric standpoint, their record doesn't stack up. They've played almost all quad four games playing in the Southland conference, but they only have three losses and they have that Duke win on the resume. Some people will say they absolutely deserve a chance to get in. Some people will say they absolutely do not deserve a chance to get in. Where do you fall on that fence?
2: The reason why I fall on the side of Stephen F. Austin needing to win their tournament is because if they don't win their tournament, they are adding – probably another quad four loss Mm. to their resume. Yep. If you look at just the Duke win, it's probably the best win. If not, it's probably outside of Baylor's win over Kansas. The best win that any team has. Um, It's definitely the best win any mid-major has to this point in the season. And I get the I get the argument that um, you know the the selection process isn't fair or isn't uh, perfect. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the fact that the WAB or the the wins above a bubble team should be the end all be all of of choosing teams to make it into the tournament. Because if you look at the way the WAB is uh, determined, if they lose by 20 to Duke, but they score one more basket and uh, and beat uh, A&M Corpus Christi by one. They're in the same spot on the WAB, which is why I don't subscribe to that being the only thing. But that's a, a story for a different day. I don't think they're an at-large team because I don't think they can survive another quad four loss. Right yeah. now, they have an argument but as soon as they lose another quad four game, which would push them into a, we are no longer an automatic bid, um, I think that that will be too much to, to overcome.
3: Yeah, I'm with Connor on that. I don't think one win, I, although it is a huge win, of course, against number one Duke on the road, it shouldn't be enough to get you that at large. One win should not be enough or tell the difference of a whole season. And I'm looking at that Texas A&M-Corpus Christi loss. That's a killer in my mind. If they somehow could have got those wins, at least one of those wins against Rutgers and Alabama on the road, maybe I would have changed my mind a little bit. But, yeah, I would not be putting Stephen F. Austin on the at-large side of it.
0: Yeah, I, The mid-major conversation is interesting. I agree with you guys. Um, I would love to see Stephen F. Austin get in. But I do think that other quad four loss would would kill them. I'm sort of
3: not true. Not in true. the
0: same boat with you guys. Um, but I do want to see them get in because I think they could potentially pull an upset if they get a, a good seed and a, and a good matchup there. We saw what they could do. But again, just uh, when you're a team that plays in, in these kind of conferences, your resume is just not going to stack up unless you don't lose, right? Um, San Diego State, speaking of not losing – uh, obviously going to be in no matter what them, Gonzaga, Dayton, probably BYU as well. I would throw in that mix yeah. teams that are going to be in no matter what I would say. Um, so outside of those, Matthew, are there any kind of mid major bowl teams you're looking at that you either feel confident in about potentially getting an at-large bid or teams you're looking at that could have the potential to win a game or two uh, should they make the NSA tournament?
1: I mean, to be completely honest, not really. I think at the end of the day, I think those teams in the FCC or the even the ACC or other Power Five conferences and plus the Big East and other, team, uh, other conferences, I think teams on the bubble from those conferences will get the nod over a Stephen F. Austin who will, if they lose another game, will have another Quad Four loss. I think just the fact that they're playing better competition it'll it'll kind of push them over the edge more so than a mid-major
0: yeah i think the conversation is going to get interesting as we get to around the net 40 rankings if you look at net there are six mid-major teams that are in the top 35 there's those four we just went through rhode island at 32 and st mary's at 34 i think those six are probably all in as at larges. um Mm -hmm. Although I, I, I have no faith in St. Mary's. I don't think St. Mary's is any good, but I will adhere that the resume is probably enough to get them in. At that 40 mark, though, you have Northern Iowa at 40, Utah State at 41, despite some of their struggles they've had, and East Tennessee State at 42. And East Tennessee I mean. State, I think, is an interesting case, Connor. Um, they beat LSU out of LSU. They're 2-2 two two in quad one games and 2-1 in quad two games. So they actually have a winning record against quad one and quad two opponents with a decent enough sample size with seven games. They do have a quad four loss, but I think that would be sort of the team that may be the breaking point for the bubble this year. Yeah.
2: I I I think of the teams moving forward, if, if you're considering that right now, East Tennessee State, Utah State, and Northern Iowa are all on that back end of the 11 seed line or or top end, top half of the 12 seed line as it currently stands. I think East Tennessee State has the best opportunity to make that jump up. They have one quad two opportunity remaining in their game against Furman. They have two quad three opportunities against Western Carolina and Wofford. If they can win out and make it to the conference championship or or somewhere in the conference tournament, face Furman and lose, again, that's another quad two loss, but they wouldn't be adding any quad three or quad four losses. My issue with Utah State right now is they have – a quad three opportunity remaining against New Mexico in one of the toughest environments in the mid-major ranks, Mm -hmm. Um, and then they play home games against San Jose State and Wyoming. So winning out against that schedule is not nearly as impressive as East Tennessee State. And I think the only loss that they could survive because they're not adding any more quad two wins moving forward is probably San Diego State. Um, I could take an argument for a uh, Colorado State or a, or a Boise State, assuming they stay quad-two neutral site games or uh, opportunities. Northern Iowa, I think Northern Iowa is probably the best of the three. Yeah. That said, um, I have probably the least confidence in them uh, losing in the tournament meaning I think that they're probably the biggest favorite in their conference tournament. So at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think that Northern Iowa is going to be in that conversation for net large because they will be an auto bid. If they lose, however, I think it has to be against Loyola Chicago.
3: Yeah, Yeah. and that's a team that they actually just recently lost to. I would have to agree with Connor there. I think Northern Iowa looks like an elite mid-major team, and if for some odd reason they weren't able to come out Valley Conference tournament as champions, I still think they make a really good case for an at-large bid with a great win over a team that we were just talking about, South Carolina, a road victory at Colorado, and then a quality loss to West Virginia only by five points. So I think Northern Iowa, as long as they don't have any terrible um, quad four uh, losses the rest of the way, I think they're good.
0: Uh, Northern Iowa is going to be pretty big Gamecock fans down the stretch here because if South Carolina keeps winning that loss is going to keep moving up yeah. as well for them. That's yeah, it's going point. to make the resume look even better. Uh, I, I do think UNI is probably the best team of that group, I, I, but I might lean towards East Tennessee State as having the best resume simply from that record they have against Q1 and Q2 opponents. But uh, what do you do with a team like VCU, a team that we know is talented, has hit a rough stretch. They've really fallen behind Richmond in the A10 races. Richmond are more likely at large contender from the A10 than the Rams are right now.
1: Uh, I mean, Richmond is two and four against Quad One opponents, and they do have that win against Wisconsin. But I mean, Wisconsin is not who we some thought they would be at the beginning of the year. So I I think. It, VCU, uh, they're playing Dayton right now, correct? Yes. Uh, I think I, I think they're down pretty heavily if I'm not mistaken. They're,
3: they're but they're down by seven uh, with seven minutes left. Okay, so
1: I, it's possible, but I, I I just I can't see. I, I would see VCU coming out of the A10 before I saw Richmond.
0: I think VCU is certainly the better team, um, but at some point they have to start. Proving that they only have two quad one and quad two wins at this point, point. and one of them is over LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I really like the makeup of this Rams team, but they 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 just gotta put together at some point. I I do think it'll be interesting to see how some of these teams are treated in the at-large conversation um, because we're looking at it here. There are probably. eight or nine teams, we could say, from a mid-major standpoint that have legitimate at-large cases. And if some of them don't win their conference tournaments, a lot of them, uh, certainly six of them, going down from that San Diego State, uh, Gonzaga, Dayton, BYU, Rhode Island, St. Mary's, are going to be in over some of those bubble teams from conferences like the SEC and Pac-12. So I think that could be, be where things get really interesting over the next couple of weeks here is when some of these been major tournaments happen. how many big time upsets there are? Mm.
2: Um, right because because I, I want to clarify something about each uh, eastern Tennessee East Tennessee state. I think Furman is the team that is going to put them closer to the bubble. If they can win out and then lose to say UNC Greensboro in the championship, I think they're firmly in. I think Furman's going to be that team that kinda of puts them right on the edge. Um and I'd still lean in as opposed to uh out. But they're they're the they're the I think the team that has, like you said, Brian, the, the best shot at the at large considering what they have moving forward and, and mm-hmm. the opportunities or the the lack of of bad loss a bad loss that they can achieve in the uh in their conference tournament.
0: There's a, a pretty decent chance that the SoCon gets two bids this year uh, cuz even if you go through and East Tennessee State wins the conference tournament if UNC Greensboro wins out and only loses to East Tennessee State in the SoCon tournament championship game they also are 2 and 2 in quad 1 games they're 2 and 2 in quad 2 games as well so they have a, would have a 500 record or at least currently in Q1 and Q2 games their net rating's 55 um, that would go up if they kept winning some of these games the committee has shown at least a, a good amount of respect for the SoCon. Last year, UNT Greensboro was the last team out of the field. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that is probably if you're gonna watch one mid-major conference tournament that first week, um, and you just want a taste of tournament action right. in March, that one's gonna be a lot of fun to watch for me, Arden.
3: Uh, yeah, I, w- I was going to say the WCC would be my favorite to watch uh, right now, and I wouldn't be a WCC fan if I didn't even mention them being a three-bid league, possibly a three-bid league, and I believe that would be the leaders of all the mid-majors for the most uh, uh, bids and maybe tying with the American Conference. This has been quite the fun and exciting season to be a WCC fan with St. Mary's and BYU having some great seasons and, of course, Gonzaga at the top of it. Uh I do want to say that St. Mary's, you mentioned this, Brian, that they are most likely in. I agree with that, and I also agree with you on the point that they're probably going to get bounced in the first round. But then on the other hand, you got BYU with Yoli Childs and a lot of great three-point shooters built around them. That's a team that can make a run in the uh, tournament. And then, of course, I have Gonzaga as one of the final four teams in my uh, bracket.
0: We normally end these podcasts with a bowl prediction for the coming week. But given the conversation talking about the Pac-12, SEC, and these mid-majors, I want to keep with the mid-major theme. We've already asked you guys how many bids you think the Pac-12 and SEC get. Of these mid-majors, leaving out San Diego State, Gonzaga, and Dayton, because I think we all expect those teams to at least win a game, probably second weekend teams. Aside from those three, Matthew, which mid-major team do you think will end up going the farthest?
1: Um, well, would, would we count Rhode Island as a major team? Or are we counting them as a, they count? Are they okay? I think Rhode Island is a team that I, I keep my eye on. They're 19 and six right now. They're nine and one or they're nine and one in their last 10 and they are one and four against squad one opponents, but they're five and one against Quad two. So I think Rhode Island is a team to keep your eye on. They destroyed Alabama earlier on in the year 93-79, to 79, and that final score is closer than that game indicated. But I think they're a team that if they get through their first game, they could be a second-weekend team.
0: Yeah, they got one of those guys, so to speak, in, in Fats Russell. guy could take mm-hmm. over a game. They have NCAA tournament experience as well, being in two years ago um, and making the round of 32 before losing to Duke. I, I like the Rams as well, but Arden – Who would be your big major you like to make the longest run outside of those top three?
3: Yeah, I just mentioned them. It's the BYU Cougars. They got a lot of seniors built around this team with Yoli child's TJ Hawes and Jake Toulson, a transfer from Utah Valley. I think this team has proven a lot throughout the season. They only lost to San Diego state by five. The Kansas game, the score was 71 to 56, but it's a lot closer than it actually was through that score. Um, And, yeah, I've been really impressed with BYU, with Yoli Childs coming back. Uh, This game upcoming this weekend against Gonzaga will be a huge one for them, and it will try to grab a lot of national contention if they were to play Gonzaga close uh, at the Marriott Center. I would say BYU is one of my favorite mid-majors to make a
0: run. Yeah, and uh, San Diego State will certainly be rooting for BYU in that game because if Gonzaga were to lose – uh, San Diego yeah. State slides into that one spot in the West.
3: Definitely, definitely, and they do. They definitely want that in the West, and that would be the first time since Gonzaga. I don't know the last time they haven't been playing on the West Coast. It'd be very strange to see uh, Gonzaga not playing on the West.
0: It would be an interesting conversation to see kind of them be in that one two seed bubble. Uh, but Connor, who which been major do you see again outside of those top three? making the longest run in the NCAA tournament.
2: Well, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have a, a qualifying answer. Of course. The team that I think has the best shot at getting out of the first round of all the mid-majors mid, mid majors outside of those top three, I actually think it's Northern Iowa. Mm. I think that they're mm. a lot more consistent than BYU. Yep. Um, they have the same, you know, not necessarily as many or, or you know, three-point shooters, but they have three-point shooters. A.J. Green is a star, and they, they rebound the ball well. They um, can assist. They, they play great defense. I like them getting out of the first round. However, if you're asking me which team I think has the best shot at having a Loyola Chicago, uh, Wichita State-like run – It has to be BYU, because Mm -hmm. BYU, when they're firing on all cylinders, which, like I said, isn't necessarily as consistent as Northern Iowa, but BYU, when they're firing on all cylinders, has Final Four potential if things and matchups go their way. Considering how weak, in quotes, the top five seed lines are compared to years past, I think that when BYU... Is hitting on all, firing on all cylinders, they have the potential to make a final four run. Do I think they do it? No. Do I think they make the Sweet 16? Probably. But I think that they also are more likely than Northern Iowa to lose in the first or second round.
3: You mentioned the inconsistent play of BYU, and I would agree with you, but you would also have to mention the fact that Yoli Childs was out for how many games with the suspension and also his injuries. So that's a Placed a little bit of a testament to the inconsistent play for BYU. They did have that rough loss at USF only by one. But, yeah, I would agree with you. BYU has definitely the potential to make a Sweet 16 run with their senior leadership, the shooters built around them, and the star in the middle with Yoli Childs.
0: I'm really interested to see BYU this weekend because if you're going to perform on a big stage at home against Gonzaga is when you're going to do it. And they're going to need to kind of bring that level of intensity to win some of these games past the first round of the NCAA tournament, because I think they're I'm going to pick them to win the first round game pretty much no matter who they play. I think anything further than that, I want to see kind of how they look in some of these bigger games where they know they're going to need to play at a pretty high level.
3: It's going to be a high level atmosphere also at oh, that right, center, especially because both these teams are ranked and BYU hasn't been ranked since the Jimmer days in 2011. They've And actually Gonzaga hasn't played a uh, ranked opponent in the WCC other than St. Mary's since uh, LMU back in the nineties, which is hard to believe. Um, so yeah, it should be an exciting game for Gonzaga BYU. I'll be tuned in on ESPN too.
0: I also want to keep an eye on Rhode Island. Um, as Matthew said, they, they had that 14-point win over Alabama that came on the heels of a game against Maryland, which they lost by 18, but the game was much closer than that, Maryland uh, poured it on late with some late points and free throws. They were in a game against LSU, similarly to the game against Maryland. Only lost to West Virginia by five on the road. Have a, a win. And then coming in, they've lost once since January 8th, and it was at Dayton. 14 point loss. They got down uh, pretty big pretty early. Uh, I think we're kind of overwhelmed by just how good Dayton was. Um, and I think that's sort of where the problem with Rhode Island lies for me. I think they can handle and it's going it to depend on where they end up uh, in the bracket and seed line cuz I think they can handle a lot of those mid-tier teams that are going to be seated uh, 5 through you know wherever I think they can handle those teams and potentially beat one or two and make the Sweet 16. But if they end up in the like a 7-10 game and have to play a two-seed in the second round or in the 8-9 game and end up having to play a one-seed, I don't think they have the potential to get past that game. So I, I, I feel extremely confident in Rhode Island and BYU winning a game mm-hmm. of those two. I would probably say I, I would give BYU the edge in terms of making a long run. But I really want to see how this bracket shakes out because I do think for a lot of these teams and Northern Iowa included in this, the matchups they get, I think is going to determine a lot of it. But I probably have the most faith um, in BYU making making that long run.
3: I have a general question about the top teams in the mid-major for all you guys. If you had to pick between Gonzaga, Dayton, and San Diego State to make the longest run, the deepest run in the March Madness, who would it be?
1: Dayton. I'd say Dayton just because Obi Toppin. That's the only reason. I've, I've never, I've always been a little skeptical on Gonzaga, not just this year, but most years, with the exception of last year. And I, I, I still don't trust San Diego State. I haven't seen them play anybody, so I'd say Dayton out of those three.
2: I would say Dayton, not because of Obi Toppin. I'd say Dayton because of Killian Tilly. I don't trust Killian Tilly
3: to stay healthy mm. for six straight games. Yeah, that seems to be the the issue the past couple of years with Killian Tilly. But, yeah.
0: No one says an undefeated San Diego State, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm going to say Dayton too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say it with a caveat. And, Connor, we've talked about this in the past when discussing Dayton – I think the, the what can beat them and will beat them eventually is when they run into a team that has a legitimate big man uh, because Dayton does not have a lot of size. Their size is Obi Toppin, basically. And as, as great as he is, he is not somebody who is going to play in the post on both ends all the time. Part of the reason why he's so great is because he has perimeter skills, um, both defensively and offensively, and that – he, he can do both, right? But he's what makes him special is the ability for him to draw the opposing big out on the perimeter and play out there. We saw it against Kansas where Doka's Buké late in that game just kept putting him in the post and and dunking on him, scoring past him, doing whatever he wanted to because toppin doesn't have the size to match up with a true, legitimate, dominant big man. And on flip side, it took him out of the offense because he was tired from having to defend a giant man down low. There are not many teams that have that kind of guy who can put him down there. I think you're looking at Kansas with Doak uh, and Duke with Vernon Carey as two of the maybe most likely teams Dayton would potentially face later on that have that guy. Um, But that would be the one thing that would keep Dayton from getting there. I love their offense. I love their experience. I love their guard play. I love their shooting. All the reasons why we love Dayton is why I think that they are probably the most likely of this group to make a Final Four. That said, if they get in a region with one of those other dominant bigs, I would probably lean more towards San Diego State.
3: I do like San Diego State. They're uh, one of the deeper teams in college basketball with Yanni Wetzel, Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, and of course Malachi Flynn, the Washington State transfer. But I'm going to go... My Zags, and that reason is they're the deepest team in all of college basketball. Even without Killian Tilly, they have seven players right now averaging over ten points. They share the rock, and they're all score. They're all different types of scores with Philip Petrušev down low, I and mean, you got Corey Kispert out there who can knock down threes on a consistent basis, or he has started to do that more on a consistent basis. So I'm going to go with Zags as one of the top teams out of those three mid majors.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise. I, it, a lot of it will depend on Tilly's health because I think he adds that extra element that makes them special. Um, and it'll be fun to see them tested Saturday night against BYU. Um, one of the many good games watched this weekend and, and coming down in the next couple weeks down the stretch, we're less than four weeks away from a selection Sunday. Thank God. In, <laughs> in four weeks, the first four will be on. We'll be watching some actual NCAA tournament games which will be a lot which will be a lot of fun. We got some some big games later on this week and this weekend obviously. We'll be back next week to break it all down before you look ahead to some conference tournaments. But for Arden Cavalho, Matthew Travis and my co-host Connor Hope, I am Brian Ralph. We'll talk to you guys next time.